welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Job, do you know the laws that govern the heavens? And can you make them rule the earth? Job, chapter 38, verse 33, Contemporary English Version. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-E-A-B-O-O-K-S dot com. We're very grateful that you are joining us on Anchored by Truth as we continue the series which we are calling Eternal Information. We wanted to do this series for one simple reason, to increase our listeners' confidence in the Bible and in God. In the studio today, we have R.D. Fierro, who is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., why do you believe that it is so important to help our listeners develop increased confidence in God and in the Bible? Well, that's a very good question. But before I get into it, I would also like to thank everyone who's joining us here on Anchored by Truth today. We really are grateful that you spend some time with us, and we're very grateful that you would have the kind of interest in the Bible and in your faith that would cause you to spend some time thinking through some of these more challenging issues, issues that require us to really put our thinking caps on, but issues which can be so important to us developing solid confidence in the truth of the Christian faith and in the truth of the Bible. You know, four or five decades ago, this kind of a series on eternal information probably would not have been necessary, because in those days, there was a far more widespread acceptance that God was real and that the Bible really was the Word of God. But those two ideas, that God is real and that the Bible is the Word of God, have been under constant attack for at least 40 or 50 years. And today, it's not uncommon to run into people who not only don't believe in the Bible, but who don't even believe that God exists at all. Our culture has systematically removed God, not just from our educational settings and our public institutions, but also they've tried to expunge God from the public square. And part of what has permitted this to go on, largely unchecked, is the idea that belief in God is some sort of a remnant from a more primitive time when religious superstitions could be accepted because we had not yet come to a place where we had been enlightened by science. But of course, all that is just nonsense, because in fact, real science tells us that God is actually necessary to support our view of the universe and understand the universe as it exists. But one of the reasons that the view that the Christian faith is a remnant from an earlier, more superstitious time is because individual Christians in our cultures, too many Christians, have lost their ability to defend their Christian faith from the standpoint of logic and reason. As you say, during the last several decades, the slogan, You have faith, but I have science has come to be pervasive in our culture. We constantly point out on Anchored by Truth that this idea, as popular and widespread as it is, has no basis in reason or science. Exactly right. 
And the concept of information is one more area of genuine science that points squarely to the need for God and the existence of God. As we've been talking about in our first two episodes in this series, the more we examine the concept of information, the more that we see it is impossible to reasonably account for the existence of information if we do not acknowledge a source for intelligence that is outside matter, energy, time, and space. Yet matter, energy, time, and space are all that atheists and those radically secular scientists have to work with. They attempt to confine science to the naturalistic elements which they can see, touch, or measure. God is, of course, supernatural. So they attempt to limit science to the natural world because by doing so, they can dismiss God by saying that even if he existed, his existence cannot be verified. Yes, by confining science to the so-called natural world, The atheists and the radical secularists think that they can erect a wall that will keep them safe on the inside while God is going to be forced to remain on the outside in an unseen and unknowable realm. That's just the height of silliness. Atheists and secularists will tell us that we can't trust in the belief in God because we can't perceive God with our five senses. And yet those very same people will proclaim that dark matter comprises 85% of the mass of the universe, even though dark matter cannot be seen, and dark matter does not interact with electromagnetic fields. That's the reason it's supposedly dark, is because it cannot be detected. But the radical secularists and the atheists don't doubt the existence of dark matter because they need dark matter to make the math of the Big Bang and other astronomical phenomena work. In other words, they say dark matter must exist because we detect certain effects that would be impossible without its existence. But when Christians say that we can be sure that God exists because we can see his effects within the visible cosmos, they reject that line of reasoning. In their way of thinking, dark matter is unseen but can be known by its effects. By contrast, God is unseen but cannot be known by the effects that his presence would explain. It does seem very much like they have substituted dark matter for God. Exactly right. The visible universe consists of matter, energy, time, and space, and science has discovered a lot about how those four components relate to one another. Well, the reason that we have been able to do that is because God is a God of logic and order. So when God created the universe, he imparted his sense of order into his creation. And that was the idea that animated many of the founders of contemporary scientific disciplines, such as astronomy and chemistry. For example, Johannes Kepler gave us the three laws of planetary motion, which describe the way planets move around the sun. They were named after Kepler, who lived from 1571 through 1630 AD, who discovered them. Kepler was a devout Lutheran and biblical creationist. Kepler also gave us the famous phrase that science is, quote, thinking God's thoughts after him, unquote. Isaac Newton, who lived from 1643 until 1727, is often regarded as the most influential scientist of all time. He explained the cause of Kepler's laws in what are known as Newton's Three Laws of Motion 
and his theory of universal gravitation, the law of gravity. In those, he showed that the heavens obey the same laws of motion as the earth. Newton also has the fundamental unit of force named after him, the newton. Newton was a biblical creationist who wrote far more on the Bible and theology than he ever did on science. And Robert Boyle, who lived in the 17th century, is known as the father of modern chemistry. In his famous book, The Skeptical Chemist, Boyle overturned the then popular notion that everything was made up of the four elements of fire, water, earth, and air. Boyle redefined the term element to give us our modern notion of what a chemical element is. It's a substance that cannot be separated into simpler components by chemical methods. Robert Boyle is also the author of so-called Boyle's Law. And Boyle's Law states that a gas's volume increases as its pressure decreases at a constant temperature. Boyle was not just a great chemist, but he was also a very generous patron of missionary work, and he wrote a number of books defending the Christian faith. Boyle was a biblical creationist, and yet he's the founder of modern chemistry. And there are a number of very good articles on the Creation Ministries International website that talk about this, that talk about the fact that there are undeniable links between the founders of many of the modern scientific disciplines and those founders' biblical faith. And that's a good introduction for what we want to talk about today. We have coined the phrase natural law to speak about generalized maxims that tell us how the components of the universe operate and relate to one another. These natural laws include ones such as Boyle's Law or the Law of Gravitation. Natural laws are statements of how parts of nature behave. We regard them as being universally applicable. As such, once identified and specified, they enable other work to be done without having to redetermine basic principles of how matter and energy behave. Well, it turns out that there are similar laws that govern the behavior of information. And that is probably a surprise for most people. As we have been talking about this in this series, information is a non-material component of the universe. Yes. Dr. Werner Gitt, who wrote the book, In the Beginning Was Information, has identified four laws that apply to information. And there are two very good articles on the Creation Ministries International website that describe these four laws and their application. Now, I would recommend the book, In the Beginning Was Information, to anyone who wants to pursue this subject further, but those articles provide a great summary of much of the information that is in the book. So let's do a quick review of some of the essential elements that are inherent in information that we've talked about in the first two episodes in this series. We just mentioned that information is non-material. Speaking technically, information is massless. Information is not created by and does not interact with matter, energy, time, or space, although we can use matter and energy to transmit, receive, or store information. A chemical formula for apple pie or rocket fuel can be written on the same piece of paper using the same ink. The paper and ink do not create the formula, tell us what's in the formula, or affect the formula in the slightest. And information contains specified sequences, elements, codes, and symbols. And those sequences, elements, codes, and symbols are arranged or encoded for a specific purpose to produce specific effects. 
So in addition to information being non-material, another overarching concept that leaps out at us about information is that information is ordered, organized, and specified. So we can be very certain then that information is an expression of intelligence. It has to be. Information, which is ordered, organized, and specified, cannot be the product of mindless, random, or undirected activity of anything. So all this fits perfectly with what Dr. Gitt refers to as the scientific laws of information. Dr. Gitt's first law is, quote, a material entity cannot generate a non-material entity, unquote. This is simply a straightforward expression of the observation that we made above. Or, as Dr. Gitt put it in one of the articles on CMI website, In our common experience, we observe that an apple tree bears apples, a pear tree yields pears, and a thistle brings forth thistle seeds. Similarly, horses give birth to foals, cows to calves, and women to human babies. Likewise, we can observe that something which is itself solely material never creates anything non-material, unquote. Right. And Dr. Gitt's second law is that, quote, Universal information is a non-material, fundamental entity, close quote. Well, by the term universal information, Dr. Gitt is referring to information that possesses five specific attributes, or what Dr. Gitt calls levels of information. And the five levels that he cites are statistics, syntax, semantics, pragmatics, and what he calls apobetics. Now, statistics is simply raw data or counts of things. I mean, if a cat walks across a keyboard and strikes a number of the keys, it's going to produce letters up on a screen. And you can count the number of letters that go up on the screen, but that doesn't give you any information. The next thing that is necessary for a sequence of letters to produce information is syntax. And that's the arrangement of the letters into words. And then the arrangement of the words into phrases, sentences, paragraphs, or something longer. And in language, there are structural rules that govern those arrangements, and that's what we call syntax. Now, semantics is meaning. I mean, I can write or say a sentence like, the dog waxed a pumpkin. The dog waxed a pumpkin? Really? That makes even less sense than, well, some of the things you've written. And that's the point. The words in the sentence, the dog waxed a pumpkin, those are all real words, and they are correctly arranged according to the rules of syntax for the English language, but there's no meaning in the sentence. It's just nonsense. We can't draw anything out of the sentence, and that's where semantics comes in. Strings of letters or words, even if they follow rules, don't necessarily possess meaning. Well, after meaning comes pragmatics. Pragmatics refers to action. Our nonsensical sentence, the dog waxed a pumpkin, that doesn't produce any action. But the phrase, put out the fire, hopefully would produce action. Well, I'd sure rather have someone putting out a fire than have a dog waxing a pumpkin. And that brings us to the final level or attribute of universal information that Dr. Gett talks about, and he calls that apobetics created from the Greek word that means result or consequence. So apobetics means the goal, purpose, or result. Information serves a purpose. Asking someone to have their dog wax a pumpkin, that's not going to do anybody any good. 
It's not going to produce a desirable result. But tell somebody to put out a fire, and that most certainly can produce a desirable result. So that's how Dr. Git helps us sort between nonsense and information. So what Dr. Git is telling us with this second law is that universal information is a fundamental component of the universe in which we live. You can no more have a universe without information than you can have a universe without matter, energy, time, or space. Dr. Gitt's third law of universal information is that, quote, universal information cannot be created by statistical processes, unquote. He provides this explanation about his third law, quote, the grand theory of evolution would gain some empirical support if it could be demonstrated in a real experiment that the information could arise from the matter left to itself without the addition of intelligence. Despite the most intensive worldwide efforts, this has never been observed. To date, evolutionary theoreticians have only been able to counter computer simulations that depend upon principles of design and the operation of predetermined information. These simulations do not correspond to reality because the theoreticians smuggle their own information into the simulations, unquote. The point Dr. Gitt is making in his third law is that there are only two competing possibilities for explaining why the universe appears as it does. And the first possibility is that there is an all-knowing, all-powerful, self-existent being that made the universe and everything in it. Well, the second possibility, of course, is that the universe itself is self-existent, despite the fact that, at a minimum, the laws of thermodynamics tell us that it can't be self-existent. And this second possibility says, well, the universe is self-existent, and not only that, matter, energy, time, and space of this self-existent universe somehow organize themselves to produce rocks, planets, and stars. Now, that alone would be pretty remarkable, but even beyond that, the matter, energy, time, and space of this self-existent universe also organized themselves in such a way that they produced living creatures. And those living creatures are not only able to reproduce themselves, but those living creatures are able to carry out purposeful activities. So the second idea says that living creatures randomly arose from non-living bits of matter, atoms and molecules, that happened to chaotically collide in such a way that one day several thousands of millions of these bits of inanimate matter alighted in a collection that started reproducing itself. And then that collection of self-replicating molecules had a number of random but fortuitous mutations that turned the 500,000 base pairs of DNA in the simplest known self-reproducing biological entity that random mutations turned that into a creature that has 3 billion base pairs in its DNA. And that DNA is present in over 35 trillion cells that are so exquisitely organized that this final collection of molecules is then able to determine intelligently that the whole process started randomly. Well, when you put it that way, the whole idea of evolution does start to sound a bit preposterous. So Dr. Gitt then moves from the third law of universal information to what is at this point a self-evident fourth law, quote, universal information can only be produced by an intelligent sender, unquote. 
It is here that the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary's definition of information becomes so potent. The second definition that Merriam-Webster provides for information says that, quote, information is the attribute inherent in and communicated by one of two or more alternative sequences or arrangements of something, such as nucleotides in DNA or binary digits in a computer program, that produce specific effects, unquote. Yes. The fourth law of universal information, as Dr. Gitt has framed it, simply notes the obvious. Information is not present unless there is a sequence of characters that have been arranged according to specified structural rules, and then that sequence contains significance, the possibility of meaningful action to come about as a result. Universal information demands the presence of an intelligent sender. And even Merriam-Webster recognizes that the nucleotides in DNA are one form of information. Therefore, there is a sound scientific basis for noting that DNA, which contains information, must represent the activity of an intelligent being who placed that information in the DNA. When you follow that line of reasoning, the conclusion is obvious. But that is certainly not anything that you hear in biology classes or science classes. And that's one of the big issues that we're pointing out in this series. Science should be the pursuit of truth, regardless of where that pursuit leads. And as the line of reasoning that we've been talking about points out, information points to the existence of God. And it does so in a logical and reasonable fashion. And it's also important to note that these laws of information which Dr. Gitt has discovered apply to information in the same way that other natural laws apply to our created order, laws with which we may be more familiar. What are you thinking about? Dr. Gitt notes that the laws of nature are statements that are, quote, consistently and repeatedly confirmed to be universally true, and therefore they enjoy the highest level of confidence in science. Laws of nature don't have any exceptions, and they don't change with time. Laws of nature exist prior to and are independent of their discovery and formulation. The law of gravity existed before Isaac Newton described it and put it down in a mathematical formula. So laws of nature are thus said to be universally valid, and therefore they can be applied in unknown situations. What you're saying is that no one questions if we drop a ball off a tall building whether the ball will fall to the ground. We know it will, because the laws of gravity mean that the large mass of the earth is going to attract the small mass of the ball. We don't wonder whether the earth will move up to the ball. We have a natural law that tells us what will happen. The same thing with laws of thermodynamics. Heat moves from a hot body to a cold body if they are left alone. That means the temperature will equalize in a closed environment if things are left alone. If we want to keep hot coffee hot while it sits on our desk, we have to put it on a coffee warmer. The coffee warmer will inject heat into the cup because otherwise the coffee will simply cool off. The laws of nature are universally applicable and so they make our world predictable. And that's a major takeaway from these laws of information that Dr. Gitt has identified. Dr. Gitt didn't invent these laws. Like all the other natural laws, the laws of information are simply statements about how information behaves within our universe. But of course, the laws of information point to something quite important, 
and in their own way, staggering. As the fourth law of information says, quote, universal information can only be produced by an intelligent sender, unquote, but DNA contains information. So the only way we can account for the fact that DNA contains information is if the DNA were created by an intelligent sender. It's simple, but profound. Yes. Despite the claims of the evolutionists, life on this earth cannot account for its own existence. In fact, the universe cannot account for its own existence. Our explanation of information leads us back to God. And in fact, a careful and thoughtful examination of other natural laws would do the same thing. But that idea has been lost in our day and time. But the relevant point for today is that we cannot deny that information is present in our cosmos. If you tried to deny the existence of information, you would be using information to try to communicate your denial. Trying to deny the existence of information is a self-defeating exercise. So, information exists in the universe. No one seriously tries to deny that. Information is present in all living creatures because it is embedded in the DNA. We're going to talk more about that in a future episode in this series. The existence of information in DNA obliterates any attempt to assign DNA and its function to being the product of random and chaotic interaction of matter and energy. Matter and energy may store and transmit information, but they do not and cannot create it. Thus, a study of information forms another powerful line of reasoning for the existence of God. In that sense, information is part of an effective apologetic. Yes. The nature of the physical universe itself points us to a power that must lie beyond the universe. Information is another one of the many attributes of the universe that supports that basic line of reasoning. So information forms another and very powerful apologetic argument for the existence of God. And that's the big reason that we open today with that scripture from Job. Notice that in the scripture, God says to Job, quote, Do you know the laws that govern the heavens, and can you make them rule the earth? God was pointing out to Job that Job had made an error about his ability to evaluate God's conduct. So what did God do when he started to point out Job's error? He pointed out that there are laws that govern the heavens and the earth. Laws reflect the intelligent action of a being that has both the intelligence to design the law and the power to make it. Job had no doubt of God's existence, so Job at least had that much going for him. Job's error was he thought he was qualified to review God's management of the universe. Which he wasn't, obviously. This sounds like a great time to pray. Today, let's listen to a prayer that we would all receive illumination from the source of all intelligence and information, the Holy Spirit. Prayer for Illumination by the Holy Spirit Great and mighty God, You are the searcher of men's hearts and the only true joy for our souls. We worship gladly the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, You came to take away our spiritual blindness and to make us alive to things of God. At Pentecost, You confirmed Your presence in the world and established Your dominion in the hearts of those who belong to the Son. By ourselves, we could never stand against the wiles of the evil one. But in you we have victory, for greater are you than Satan who is in the world. 
Holy Spirit, you regenerate our hearts and bring light to our mind. Since you fully possess all knowledge and wisdom, you are the supreme teacher who imparts wisdom and give us the ability to absorb and understand that which you teach. Lord, we pray that we would be sensitive to your leading. Time and again you have gone before us to find the path that we should travel, and you have never left us, even in those times we have grieved you or resisted your work. We marvel at the grace manifested to us by you, abiding with us and with the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy is our God, and worthy to be praised. We bow before the light of our lives, the Lord of the universe, the Lamb of God. In Christ's precious name, we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support.